Thanks for listening to the Imago Day podcast. If you live in the Portland area, we'd love to invite you into the life of our community. You can find out what's going on at idcpdx.com slash events or on social media at Imago Day PDX. We're in a series called Behold Your King, and we are taking a look at... Um, We're taking a look at Jesus as we make our way to the cross, and we're looking at him as the king, as a different kind of king, as a king who is not like our regular earthly kings, but it's clear by the way he behaves, by the things that he says, by the things that he does, that he is different. Alex and Rick turned our thinking upside down in the wilderness and then with the Sermon on the Mount, and we found ourselves with a Lord who does not lord himself over us. As a matter of fact, rather than snuff out a bruised, rather than snuff out a smoldering wick or throwing away a bruised reed, he elevates us and calls us blessed and not broken. And because our king has a particular fondness for broken people, we are actually able to be able to come into his kingdom Today's sermon is the next in this series, and while the series is called Behold Your King, today would probably be more accurately called Behold His Kingdom. I want to start with a story. It was very early on. It was after I knew that I was called to be a preacher, but before I had ever had my first job. And I remember being at my old church, and there's this guy who came to preach that Sunday, and I call him the tiny preacher. And the reason I call him the tiny preacher is because he was about five foot two. He was really very short. He might have been five five with his afro, but he was really short. And so he came and his clothes were actually like too long, like the cuffs of his shirt came down to here and he was wearing a suit, but it all just looked so big on him. So he comes to church and I'm thinking, this guy, plus he's not real great. I mean, he's, he's stopping at his words and he's swallowing things and he's not sure what he's reading and he's just, he's just a mess of a guy, right? And I'm listening to him and I'm thinking, this dude, Somebody must owe him a favor, because, man. So um, I, I finished listening to him, and I'm just like, that is the worst sermon I think I have ever heard in my entire life. So the Holy Spirit, because he's always really sweet and kind to me, says, so if you were to take that, that passage, and it was the passage where Peter and John actually heal the man who's sitting at the gate beautiful, he says, if you were to preach that sermon, how would you preach it? So I go home, and I study, and I write, and I write, and I write some more, and I come up with what I think is a fabulous sermon, one of my better ones. And I go, that's what I would do. And he said, you would have heard all of that if you had been listening for me and not looking at that guy. And in that moment, I realized when I started to think back on the things that he was saying, he was saying all of the things that I had written in that sermon, but I just wasn't hearing them. That was my first real personal experience with what a parable actually does. That man, that tiny preacher, was a parable. And it is the primary way that Jesus spoke about the kingdom of God. 
When you hear the phrase kingdom of God, it basically means that it is God's redemptive rule and reign in the earth. That's a very simple way to think of it. Now before we start going into why he talked about parables and what he did, I, I wanna answer two questions. First, what is a parable? And second, why did Jesus preach with parables? So the first question, what is a parable? Literally the word comes from two words, para, which means alongside, and balos, which means to throw. So a parable is an image or something thrown alongside of a story, and the two come together to reveal or to tell a truth that we wouldn't necessarily see without it. So it was the tiny preacher put alongside the story of the sermon so that I could see that I was not listening to or looking at or paying attention to God. Parables take the common or the ordinary image and throw it alongside a truth to illuminate something that was heretofore not understood. It's, when you think about a spoken word poet, spoken word poets and hip hop artists often think through how they're going to communicate what they communicate, and you'll hear a lot of something is like this, and then they'll give you an image of a thing. So parables are kind of like kingdom hip hop. And so if you think about it, it's like instead of saying, you know, first of all, by the way, I'm about to quote Eminem, and here's the thing, I have been told that Eminem is no longer cool in the rap community, however, this particular part of this particular song is the perfect illustration of what it means for a parable. Instead of actually saying, I'm in a dysfunctional relationship and with this girl and we're codependent, Eminem would rather say, I can't tell you what it really is, I can only tell you what it feels like. And right now it's a steel knife in my windpipe. I can't breathe, but I still fight while I can fight. As long as wrong feels right, it's like I'm in flight. So he'd say that. And that's how parables work. I can't tell you what it really is. I can only tell you what it feels like. And so when you think of Jesus saying, the kingdom of heaven is like. Douglas Webster says parables are time bombs that only explode after they have penetrated our hearts. One of the most famous parables is in the Old Testament where David, who has seen Bathsheba, taken Bathsheba, killed her husband, then brought her into the kingdom, got her pregnant, she got a baby, now she's in the, in the palace, and Nathan comes to him and says, I got a story for you about a guy who had a sheep and some guy who had a lot of sheep wanted to feed his company, so he killed that guy's sheep. David is ticked. David is just like, that's terrible, that man should pay recompense, that man should die, he should this, and then Nathan goes, yeah, it's kind of you. And David's like, wait, what? So you see this, you see this, um, this picture. He tosses this story right next to this image and it, and it makes it possible for David to actually see the truth. Now why did Jesus actually speak in parables? Well, he used them to explain three things. He used them to explain himself to people, he used them to explain the kingdom, and then he also used parables to explain to the people who they are to be and by extension us, as kingdom citizens. Parables actually invite and involve those people who are open to hearing the truth. 
but they also repel and resist those who are not open to it. As a matter of fact, in Matthew 13, in the verses 14 and 15, Jesus says, you'll be hearing and never understanding, you'll be ever seeing but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused, and they hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I'd be able to heal them. And so when we look at that passage, what Jesus is saying is the people that I'm talking to, if you're not open, if you're not hearing, if you're not interested, if you're not engaging your imagination in the things that I'm telling you and stretching beyond where you are to see what it is you cannot see, you're like these calloused folk people who just aren't listening and they won't see. You'll hear me say it, but you won't hear. You'll see these images, but you will not understand them. So parables actually expose the heart and the mind concerning the kingdom, telling the truth, but telling it like Emily Dickinson said, telling it slant. She talks about how it's, in, how it's important to actually tell the truth but kind of go at it from an angle so that when people hear the truth, that it must, it must um, that the truth dazzles gradually or every man would be blind if they saw it straight on. So that's what the parables did and that's why Jesus used them. What the parables are not are allegories where every single thing in the parable has a meaning. Parables are actually not allegories in the sense that allegories like the Pilgrim's Progress and books like that, they actually, every single thing means something in the larger picture. With parables, there's one main point that's trying to be made. So a lot of times people will look at a parable and they'll think through it like, well, what exactly is, you know, when you think about the parable of the Good Samaritan, at one point, say, Augustine actually looked at that parable and he thought, oh, the, the guy who went and helped the guy was Jesus, and then the guy was Paul, and then this one was, you know, heaven, and this was this, and there was the Holy Spirit, and he tried, attributed a meaning to every single thing when that parable is basically making one point. This is what it looks like to love your neighbor, period. That's all it is. I'm sure if Augustine were here now, he'd be like, I did a lot of work on that. Be like, I appreciate that, Augie, but it just was not working. You know, so parables give you one main idea to focus on. They are also not riddles. So they're not sitting there waiting for you and saying, okay, I'm gonna withhold a bunch of stuff from you so that you can actually have to figure it out and go through this cave and that cave. They give you every single thing you need to understand as long as your heart is open. They are not intellectual offerings. They're designed to meet you where you are personally and then draw you from where you are, tugging you by your heartstrings. Gene Sullivan says that parable itself is actually a feeble thing. Almost all the power of a parable rests in the one who hears it. They're not there to tell us something new, but to give us something or someone that we may have overlooked or dismissed. And they're not there to change our minds as much as they are there to change us. They're also, finally, not churchy. Parables are not inside talk. They're not 
for people who have great, huge educations, but rather they're for regular folk because they talk about wheat and tares and sowing seeds and fishing and all the stuff that the regular folk do. Parables are for working folk. Parables are for daily grind folk. Parables are for the ain't getting no sleep because the baby's crying folk. Parables are for the dating folk, the folk who have to swipe left or swipe right and are sick and tired of it. They're for the lonely folk. They're for the addicted and the marginalized and the refugee folk. Parables are for the tiny preacher folk. Parables were the first hint that the kingdom would be a surprise and not what people expected. The people wanted and hoped for a king who was gonna kick the door down and come in and have a violent rebellion and just take over and make sure everything happened. They were not looking for a storyteller. The people were expecting somebody who would come from a place that had some status, not from Nazareth. His own family thought he was nuts. Jesus had the Pharisees wanting to kill him and they accused him of being possessed by a devil. And even John the Baptist at this point was saying, are you the guy or should we look for another guy? And in the center of all of this resistance and uncertainty, the kingdom rises up. And he does it with these eight spectacular parables. Now any one of these parables could be a whole sermon, but we don't have that kind of time. So I want you to think about these parables the way you see in a very old church stained glass windows. Each pane of a stained glass window tells a story. But then when you stand back and you look at the stained glass as a whole, you'll see an entire story. When I was in uh, England, I went into this teeny tiny church and these very detailed stained glass windows, you saw one where you saw Jesus um, uh, with his mother and he was in her lap. You saw another one where the people were, were scorning and mocking him and you saw another one where you, know, you saw the disciples who were running from him, but then in the center you saw Jesus, you know, arms outstretched on the cross, but then above that there was Jesus who was a reigning king, and then you saw the world changed and the world different, and you saw the lion sitting down with the lamb, and these were all, each panel told one thing, but the entire set of panels told something else. And that is what Jesus does with these parables of the kingdom. Together they will draw your attention to a few things. But what I wanna do is look at each parable, but not in its entirety. I just want you to notice a few things about each one. So first, let's look at the sower passage. So we're all very familiar with that when there are these four kinds of soil and they all represent different kinds of hearts and different kinds of receptivity to the gospel and to the things that are sown by Jesus, right? We've all been all of those soils. I don't know about you, but there have been times when I've heard things and I simply did not believe them or accept them at the time. There have been times when I have heard the word and I just didn't wanna do it because I was scared or because I didn't wanna give something up. We've all been that person. We've all been the person who has not believed when we should believe, who has not obeyed when we should obey, who has simply not done those things. And so when you look at that parable, try not to think of yourself as which one am I? Try to remember and remind yourself, I am and or have been all four of those different types of soil. But I notice the grace of God that the sower sows 
in all of those soils. The question that you have to ask yourself is whether or not you are going to choose to be the good soil. And you see in the passage where it says understand, and NIV is kind of not as accurate in that rendering because that word understand is actually a word that means to accept and to receive. So it doesn't just mean I can process the word that is sown. It's do I accept and receive that word, meaning does it change me and does it change my behavior? So that's what it means to have good soil. And you get to choose whether or not you are going to be a good soil. Just the same way the rich young ruler was given a choice. When Jesus said to him, okay, he said, how do I inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, sell everything that you have, give it to the poor, and then follow me. He said, you will store up treasures for yourself in heaven and then follow me. And the Bible says that he went away sad because he had a lot. He was that, he was that person who was taken over by the deceitfulness of riches. And so he went away because he could not accept or receive and be changed by that word. Now the key to that particular passage, and this, this um, parable comes first, and the reason it becomes first is actually found in the account that's in Mark's gospel. Mark's account says in, uh, in chapter four, verse 13, Jesus said to the disciples, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? When he said, whoever has ears, let him hear. What he is saying is, if you, when you hear the word sown out to you, if you will not receive or accept, it won't matter what parable you listen to. If you are not good soil who will take it in and let it change you, then it won't, none of the other parables will matter. He says, you will not understand any parable if you do not choose to be good soil. So that's why that parable is first, and that's why that parable is most important, and that's why it's key, and that's why he explains it to them. The next parable is the wheat and the weeds. The thing I want you to understand about that one is that you understand parables first in the context of the people who hear them, and then you understand them in the context that you're in. So in this particular one, what's important to know is that the wheat and the tares, it was a specific kind of weed that was growing up up. And it was a weed that actually looked exactly like wheat in its early stages. And so when you see the kingdom of God is like this wheat and this weeds, what he's saying is that there are people, when he explained it, there are people who are children of the kingdom, there are people who are children of the, of the devil, of the enemy, they're all in the same place. And our job is not to sort. The world is made up of saints and sinners. The world is also made up of saints that look like sinners and sinners who look like saints. And Jesus does not have a problem with saints who act like saints and sinners who act like sinners. It's when it gets all mixed up that we have to worry about it. And we have a tendency sometimes to want to judge, well, there's a, there's a weed, that one's wheat. That, yeah, there's a weed over there, and that's a wheat, and that's a weed. And so we make those judgments and we wanna kick people out or we wanna yell at people or we wanna make a judgment on a person. And he's telling us in this parable, your job is not to judge, your job is to grow. Wheat or weed, your job is to grow and I will sort things out later. And so then the next 
I remember, oh, I should. <laughs> he says at one point, Jesus says to his followers, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, is going to enter into the kingdom, but those who do the will of my Father. And so when we think about what it looks like to actually be wheat versus weed, we can't always tell. Billy Graham was asked one time, what are you looking forward to most in heaven and what do you think will surprise you the most? And he said, I am most looking forward to seeing the Father. But then he said, I think I will be most surprised by who's there and who's not. And I never forgot that. The next parable is the parable of the mustard seed. And I don't know if you've seen a mustard seed, but it's really tiny. It is really, really hard to see, and it's very easy to overlook. And yet it grows into one of the biggest shrubs that you could possibly have. In fact, the parable says that it grows into a shrub that is so big that, that birds can make their home in that shrub. And so when we think about it, in this very small thing, there is everything that's necessary for the kingdom to come. Even though it's small and tiny, the prophet Zechariah said, do not despise the day of small beginnings. And a lot of times we're a little bothered by things that are very small at first, but think about the fact that we're all in this room and the church started with what, 11 guys? 11 cowards. 11 guys who ran away from Jesus. And here we are a couple thousand years later in this room, billions of people in the world who are Christians, billions. Church started with seven guys. Church started with one guy who came to this earth. That's how the kingdom will come. Then he talks about the parable of the yeast. And the interesting thing about that that I want you to see is that he says that, that the kingdom is like yeast that a woman takes and she mixes it in with 60 pounds of flour. That word mixed is not quite right. The actual word, there is a word that is used that means mixed. This word that's used here actually means hidden. She hides the yeast in 60 pounds of flour. And 60 pounds of flour actually ends up making well over 100 loaves of bread. But it's interesting when you look at what does it mean that the kingdom is like that yeast? The kingdom is subversive. The kingdom is invisible. The kingdom is worked into everything, not in a way that you necessarily see, but in a way that it will infiltrate everything. A little leaven, Jesus says, leavens the whole entire lump. It says that he spoke in parables and there was nothing he taught that he didn't teach in a parable because he was quoting Isaiah, um, not Isaiah, but Psalm 78. He says, I will open my mouth in parables and I will utter things that were hidden since the creation of the world. The kingdom is both here and it is hidden and it goes into the world the way that yeast, which is just this big, goes into that entire lump and leavens the whole thing. 
And it's after this parable that Jesus leaves the crowd and he goes into the house and the disciples follow. And I just, I would totally be like that. I'd be out there acting like I understood everything and just knew everything that was going on. And then when Jesus goes in the house, I'm in there, okay, so tell me about that one. Tell me about that particular parable. I totally would be that person because I cannot be trusted to be out there going, excuse me, Jesus, could you tell me what that means? I'm not gonna do that in front of everybody. Now, the fact that I'm actually acting like I'd be one of the disciples and not one of the people out there just tells you who I think I am, right? And so he goes back into the house and then they start asking him to explain parables and then he gives them like this rapid fire of four more parables. He says that the kingdom of God is like a treasure hidden. Matthew 13, says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and in his joy went and sold all he had and bought the field. The kingdom of heaven is a merchant finding a pearl. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything that he had and bought it. Then he says it's like a fishing net in 47 and 48. He says, once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore and then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets and threw the bad fish away. And then finally, after that, he says to them, you guys get out, you understand this. Do you understand all of this? And then they say yes. And then he gives them one last parable and that's verse 52. He says, therefore, every teacher of the law, what he means is every person who listens, accepts, receives the word of God and is then responsible to teach it who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of the storeroom new treasures as well as old. Now, do you notice that certain phrases are starting to repeat themselves? For example, you've got the, the parable of the nets, but isn't it familiar when you think about the good fish versus the bad fish, and then they sort those out a little bit later? And as a matter of fact, in that parable, he even says there's gonna be weeping and gnashing of teeth and then he says, the treasure hidden in a field reminds you of what? It's not a trick question. Treasure hidden in a field reminds you of which parable? Yeast hidden in the flower. And then you think the single pearl reminds you of what? The mustard seed. It's not your imagination that these things are happening. Because what happened is that the actual eight parables form what's called a chiasm, which is a literary device where it takes all eight of these things and it's actually in ascending order and then reverse order is the last four. So when we look at, like, let me look at the first slide. The, photo, yeah, the first photo slide. There it is. Okay, so you have the sower and the householder. You have the wheat and the weeds is related to the fishnet. You have the mustard seed, which is related to the pearl. Then you have the leaven, which is related to the treasure. Now the purpose of this is to actually guide your thinking into a center idea, into a main idea that you are to to see that as the most important central idea, and then a chiasm is designed to actually protect 
the essentials of that central idea. You're led to that central idea. And so what you see in the center here is the leaven and the treasure. So let's look at the next photo. So you notice that the sower and the householder, they're both parables about understanding, only they mirror each other. So one parable is about accepting the word in the sower, the other is about accessing the word that you've accepted. The wheat and the weeds parable is all about things being mixed now and sorted later. But the emphasis in the first one is on being things being mixed now. The emphasis on the fishnet is things being sorted later. But both parables are about being, things being mixed and things being sorted. The mustard seed is about something being very small. The pearl is about something, is about becoming small. So when you think about the merchant, it's a little harder to see. When you think about the merchant, what he does when he sees this pearl is he sells everything that he has. He gets rid of everything. And when you think about that, you're reminded of Philippians 2, where it says that Jesus, who thought it not robbery to be equal with God, got rid of that and came to earth. The Bible says that God uses the foolish things to confound the wise and the things that are brought to nothing to deal with the things that are everything. It's tiny preachers who come and are humble and small. He says, come to me as children. It's Imago Day when we think about how we used to have two services, sometimes three, and the whole place was filled, and now we don't have that anymore, and so sometimes we can get discouraged, but God's like, you got, this is enough. I could change the world with one guy. What do you think I can do with this guy? What do you think I can do with you guys in this city, in this country, in this world? Maybe the circumstances of your life are smaller than they were before. And you're thinking to yourself, I don't have enough. And he's like, all you need is me. I'm enough. I am enough. You can give the small of your all like Paul who said, look, I used to be the Hebrew of the Hebrews, circumcised on the eighth day. I'm that guy. And I count it all as rubbish, as garbage, so that I'd know him. I'll trade all of it to simply know him. You can give the all of your small, like the widow with her might, who said, this is all I've got. And she tossed it all in. And Jesus said, that woman is great. And then at the very center is the parable of the leaven and the parable of the treasure. Can I have that slide up again? Next one. There we go. And that is about things hidden. It's the hidden work that happens in the church. It's the hidden work that happens in your life. It's the hidden things that seem like nobody notices or nobody cares or nobody's looking or nobody's giving you credit for. Things aren't happening fast enough. Things aren't happening visibly enough. They're hidden, and yet God is working. God is there. God is moving. And then the second one is about becoming small. I mean, the second one is about the hidden reward. And so when you think about the treasure hidden in a field, the emphasis, it's interesting, is not so much on the reward or the treasure, it's on the joy. The parable says for the joy, he sold everything so that he could have that treasure. 
Hebrews says that Jesus, for the joy of knowing us, of being with us, of making us his family, he endured the cross and he scorned the shame, that he was willing to deal with the hidden work because of the hidden joy. And it's that hidden joy that drove him. And those are the, that's at the very center of this. He's saying the kingdom may not be seen today. And yes, people are discouraged right now. And yeah, people are gonna walk away and people are gonna disappoint and people are gonna be angry and people are gonna mock and scorn and all of it. And it's not gonna look like we expect it to look because it is hidden. But what I need you to do is know that your hope is anchored in Jesus and that's the joy that drove Jesus and it is the joy that is to drive us. The parables of the kingdom are a picture of the kingdom brought to life, the mysterious revealed in the ordinary. It's the divine concealed in the mundane. It's everything birthed out of the everyday. The kingdom is leaven hidden, a mustard seed, a sower. It's a royal rubbing elbows with a refugee. It's a mighty king wailing in the arms of a 15-year-old girl waiting to be fed. It's wheat and weeds that live in me at the same time, and I have to trust a Jesus who came and became all the weeds, all the sin, all the evil, so that I might enter his story and become his family. It's you going to work or going to school or going down the block or wherever to show kindness or to show godliness or to show care or to just smile or to give money or to do whatever it is you need to do. It's a guy named Kurt who was at the off-ramp of the freeway who offered to give me back every penny I'd just given him if I would just pray for him. It's Imago Day in transition, trusting the same God who gave us Rick McKinley to give us the next guy. So where is the kingdom breaking through in your life? Our lives are parables. Our lives, Paul says, are living epistles. Our lives are the poetry of God. Our lives tell other people who God is and they may not see it. They may not understand why you smile when they think you should be frowning. When you, when you look at them and you say, I don't have this or I don't know that and they, they say, oh, I'm so sorry and you're like, it's all good because I got what I need. I have that one thing that one thing that I would give my entire life for, I have that, our lives, every single person in here, your life is a parable. The reason we're doing story groups at all is so that we can call out the parables in one another's lives and we're able to say, I see the kingdom in you. I see Jesus in you. I see a kingdom citizen right there. You can make a difference over here. You are a mustard seed and I see that you are going to be huge one day. You have lost everything, but that's all you need because you've got Jesus and he can do the things that he needs to do. A little leaven leavens the whole lump so maybe you're the only one at your job who knows Jesus and who cares about him. A little leaven will leaven the entire lump if you can just bring that little bit of Jesus in that place because a sower has sowed some seeds in your heart and if you would just accept it and receive it, then you will be changed by it and you'll be able to have a hundredfold, 60-fold, 30-fold in productivity and fruitfulness because we are called to be fruitful as long as we abide 
abide in the vine, and these, all of these things are what our lives are supposed to be. That is who we are. That is who we are. Amen? Yes. And so when you go to lunch today or you go to dinner today or you get in your cars with your kids, talk about how the kingdom is breaking through in your own personal lives. Look at your life and look in the back of it and say, God, show me the parable in that situation because I have no idea where you were in this situation. Show me why I've got to endure this kind of pain the way I've got to endure it. Show me the parable in these things. Show me who you are. Show me the kingdom in my own life because if we walk knowing that the kingdom is in our lives, we walk differently. We walk with joy. We walk with peace. We walk with understanding and we're able to understand and accept and forgive and give and love and do all of the things that you cannot imagine can be done in the kingdom because of who it is we follow. When we go to this table and we see this bread and this juice and we hear what Christ did for us, and we receive it when we take communion. That's a parable. The kingdom of God is a body broken and blood spilled out for your sake and your sake and your sake. And when you drink this cup and you eat this bread, you proclaim that over and over and over again. So I'm gonna pray. And when you take this communion, I want you to think about what it actually means. And when you leave this place and you look at your life and you think of what it actually means, and you look at somebody else's life and you ask God to show you in the people that you care about, the people that you know, the people that you don't know, but you're just looking at God, show me you in them. Show me the Imago Dei in that man, in that woman, in that child. And then you show them the same thing. Let's pray. The kingdom of heaven is like God complete that sentence for us. You have been the leaven in our lives. You have been the sower of good seeds. You have been the hidden treasure. You have been the mustard seed that started small, but you're in the hearts of the people in this room. He or she who has ears to hear you today, who does not know you, show them a person they can walk up to and say, today, I believe. Tell me what I need to do next. Father, I, I thank you for this journey that we're taking to see you as we move toward Good Friday, toward Easter, toward Resurrection Sunday. Father, bless every person in this room. Show up in really amazing, surprising, interesting ways in our ordinary, mundane, regular, everyday lives. Just be you. In Jesus' name.
Amen.